0: Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Canada now has more people over the age of 65 than we do under the age of 15. That means the types of health challenges we see in our hospitals and primary care settings are likely to change over the coming decade. One condition that impacts many of us and our families is called dementia. The term dementia doesn't actually refer to one specific disease. Rather, it's an overall term for a set of symptoms that are caused by disorders that affect the brain. Dementia, however, is not a normal part of aging. Almost 40% of people over the age of 65 experience some form of memory loss. When there's no underlying medical condition causing this memory loss, it's known as age-associated memory impairment. Well, age-associated memory impairment is part of the natural aging process. For most people, memory generally remains strong as we get older and doesn't decline rapidly. However, brain diseases like Alzheimer's and other dementias are different. We have to remember that all persons with dementia have the right to be treated with respect and sometimes this requires training and coaching to be effective. That's why today I have two experts on the show. Our first guest is Dr. George Heckman, now, Dr. Heckman is the Schlegel Research Chair in Geriatric Medicine and an Associate Professor in the Department of Health Studies and Gerontology at the University of Waterloo. He's also an Assistant Professor in Medicine at McMaster University. He's a geriatrician and will help us understand dementia and Alzheimer's. We'll then meet up with Michelle Heyer, who's the Director of Seniors Care at the Schlegel Center for Advancing Seniors Care at Conestoga College. Her career is dedicated to helping and prepare healthcare providers to care for older adults with complex needs through gerontological research and education. She'll tell us about a group project called the Canadian Remote Access for Dementia Learning Experiences or CRADLE, which is a free online dementia care program for those supporting individuals with dementia. Now, Dr. Heckman joined me from Waterloo via Zoom. Let's get to our conversation and learn more about dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Hi, Dr. Heckman. Welcome to the show. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, It's great to have somebody like you. You're an expert in what you do. You deal with a lot of the older population, and you're called a geriatrician. So what
1: do you do? A geriatrician is a physician, and uh, there's a number of different kinds of geriatricians. There's geriatric psychiatrists, who are psychiatrists for older people, there are care of the elderly physicians who are family doctors who do an extra six to 12 months of training in the care of the older person. And the geriatrician has gone the specialty route. And so they've done the basic training that all specialists for adults do, like cardiologists and cancer docs. But then they do an additional couple of years of training, focusing primarily on older people. So um, geriatricians, are trained in a broad array of complicated uh, medicine problems, diabetes and cardiac and, but they also have additional training in neurology and aging and rehab, huh. so we kind of like to call ourselves the, uh, the decathletes of, of medicine.
0: that makes perfect sense we're going to talk about some of those conditions today you know Canada is seeing a bit of a shift in their population demographics and I know for sure in Newfoundland we're seeing a huge shift in our demographics what are some of the changes we're seeing when it comes to the age of the average person in Canada
1: the population of Canada now has more people over 65 than under 15 and um Life expectancy, other than for for the pandemic, life expectancy during the pandemic actually went down about nine months in Canada. But the trends have been that people are living longer. And um, the, that's a good thing. I mean, we're doing something right if people are living longer. The challenge is that while some people are living well, some people are not. and um, maybe you can call it mileage or wear and tear, but some people, Uh, develop additional chronic diseases like arthritis and heart disease and diabetes and and some people develop age-related things where their muscles you know shrink away and it's called sarcopenia and their bones become brittle with osteoporosis and they accumulate a lot of things and as a result they become more vulnerable Mm -hmm. and so if they get a cold if they are given the wrong drug they might fall they might break a hip they might be need to be hospitalized where they would get complications and and then they decline even more and and they end up in a nursing home. So not everyone is aging as well as others, unfortunately.
0: Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that here in Newfoundland and Labrador. There's currently a project on the go called the Health Accord, which is reevaluating our entire healthcare system because it was designed for families of 13 kids living in rural Newfoundland, lots of broken bones and acute injuries. And now the shift is taking place to chronic care. And, you know, so you have seen a lot of different conditions, um, You know, some of the decline we see isn't just physical arthritis and muscles, but can also be cognitive decline and changes in our mental capacity. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you explain some of those changes that people can go through?
1: So one of the biggest challenges uh, that we've got from that perspective is is dementia. Um, Dementia is a term that refers to many diseases. Alzheimer's disease is a kind of dementia, but there are many other kinds of dementia. And obviously, they are conditions that are more common as people get older. Sometimes there's some genetic versions that strike people who are younger. But by and large, age is the main risk factor for developing dementia. And dementia makes things rather complicated. Um, By themselves, they're not pleasant things to have because dementia develops uh, over time and starts to pick away at a person's independence, uh, gives them symptoms where they might not remember their personality changes or they don't know where they are in space. And then they, they start having trouble dressing and and looking after their basic needs. And ultimately, many people with dementia will will require complete and total care. And so by itself, it's a very challenging uh, thing to go through in an age where people are living older and have other medical conditions on top of that then it gets extremely complicated because when you have for example heart failure you're going to end up on five or six drugs if you're a diabetic you might be on two or three drugs and then throw in additional problems you're juggling over a dozen medications You're told to eat this and not that. You're told to exercise in this way, but not that way. You're told to monitor your symptoms and do this if you get more swelling in your legs. Well, if your cognition is impaired, that becomes almost impossible for some. And and as a result, they get sick and end up in hospital where they decline further, both physically and cognitively. So in a way, if you think of of an old Roman arch bridge, the dementia is that keystone when it comes to remaining independent. And if it's damaged, then everything is at risk of, of coming apart. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, even before we get into some of the stages of development, uh, is there a way to be able to prevent it for people?
1: We don't have drugs, excuse me. You don't have medications at this time that will actually alter the course of dementia. Now, that said, uh, risk factors for dementia uh, are quite well known, and, and some of them include things like high blood pressure. And there is actually some fairly good evidence that managing your blood pressure, either through diet and exercise or medications, may reduce your risk of developing dementia. High blood pressure damages the brain. Ergo, if you lower the blood pressure, you protect the brain. We know that Exercise, regular exercise, you don't have to be a marathon runner, but regular exercise, both aerobic and and muscle training, uh, improves blood flow to the brain and therefore can protect uh, the brain. And some studies show even improvements in cognition for people who exercise regularly. Mm -hmm. We know that eating well is a good thing. We know that education is a good thing. So if we think all the way back to when we are kids, um, we know that if we can get people to get more education, to graduate from high school, to have all sorts of opportunities to grow and learn, that gives people protection because their brain is, is more wired, it's more complex. And even if it develops problems with dementia, there's still a lot of redundancy there. And, and one of the most notable examples was a nun uh, from something called the Nun Study, And I I forget what her name was, but basically this was a study of nuns who uh, were followed every year, had cognitive testing and were diagnosed with dementia when they developed it. And then they gave their brains to science. And one of them had a brain that was less than 900 grams. A normal brain is about 1400 grams. So her brain had really lost a lot of size under the microscope. There's all the findings of Alzheimer's disease. But clinically, she never, ever was demented. And so, you know, the question then becomes, you know, if you are an engaged person from a young age throughout your entire life, that does seem to give you some redundancy, some protection against dementia. And so there's a public health issue here about getting kids educated, making sure they get through high school, supporting them, getting them good jobs, good nutrition throughout life.
0: Today we're talking about dementia and Alzheimer's with Dr. George Heckman, who's a geriatrician and the Schlegel Research Chair in Geriatric Medicine. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Today we're talking about dementia and Alzheimer's with Dr. George Heckman, who's a geriatrician and the Schlegel Research Chair in Geriatric Medicine. Let's get back to the conversation. You know, we know that certain lifestyle habits, managing our health, being proactive with it is all very important in trying to prevent this. If somebody starts to experience it, and they may not recognize it in themselves, but their family members, what,
1: what are some signs to look for? Some of the early signs <clears throat> uh, might include things that are not, not related to cognition. So uh, an older person might develop uh, evidence of depression at an older age. Depression is very common, but what we do know is if you develop your first episode of depression at an older age, that may be a marker of early signs of dementia presenting with a mood disorder as opposed to actual memory loss. So that's very important to get checked out. If you develop dementia at an older age, that's an important thing to do. Um, Another sign might be when people start repeating things Um, telling the same stories or asking the same questions, and you're looking for a change. So some people will say, I'm always distracted, and that's fine. But if there's a change and people start asking questions or forgetting their keys or skipping some medications, that's like we said, medication management can be hard. And if you start missing your medications, that's an early sign. Personality changes. And that's tricky because we have this stereotype of the cranky old man, um, and I'm not sure where that's from, but I think you see that in the literature and uh, novels from the past and now, but a change in personality is not necessarily normal either. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking for, looking for subtle changes in personality and function, language, sometimes people you know we all have difficulties finding words sometimes but if someone starts having that on a regular basis and they just cannot find those words it's worth getting these people checked out
0: Mm -hmm. and so yeah exactly so somebody starts demonstrating some signs they're acting different I've heard things like people can get more aggressive in particular and you know you think about Mr. Wilson from Dennis the Menace that traditional cranky old guy but um how do they actually go and get assessed? They would go see a, a physician like you and, and likely go through some sort of diagnostics.
1: The, the, the ideal is, is if this can be done in primary care. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just because there aren't enough geriatricians, but I think uh, in a well-organized primary care setting, which the physicians uh, obviously are a part of, uh, but if there's additional staff and, and nurses and maybe even social workers, if you can do this in primary care, it's worth doing it well. I've got a colleague, Dr. Lee, Linda Lee and Kitchener, who's developed a primary care based approach and it's starting to spread across Canada, but we are more comfortable with our family doctors and something this sensitive um, is, requires the, the, that it be done by someone that you know. Yeah. And so ideally this should be done in primary care There are obviously things that are a little bit different for some some types of dementia where there are more challenging behaviors, or there's, for example, a movement problem. So it's not just cognition, but cognition and movement, something like Parkinson's or Parkinson's-like disease, or they might be in the setting of strokes and heart disease. So there's some people in whom the presentation is unusual, and they should likely see a neurologist or a geriatrician. Ideally, if this is done in primary care, it can be done earlier uh-huh. and in a more comprehensive and holistic way. Uh-huh. Uh, work that one of my students did um, a few years ago and has been submitted for publication. Uh, he interviewed people with dementia, which is unusual in and of itself. We don't usually bring them into studies uh-huh. for whatever reason, but we did and and. They they were able to tell us that going to the specialists was a bit of an ordeal. The uh, specialists are kind of cold, they don't know them very well, and they, they order certain tests and it's intimidating. Whereas those who went through the family doctors and the teams with the family doctors, it was a lot more comfortable. I mean, it's never a, a fun thing to hear that you have dementia. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But we have to be very sensitive. So ideally, this should be done in primary care, and specialists can support that and see the more complicated presentations.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I think would be a challenge, and I'm sure you've dealt with, is not only the patient but the families. If somebody is dealing with a loved one, my my grandmother had dementia, uh, and it was very challenging for the family, my mother in particular, uh, to help her along the way. What what? What would you tell a family that's dealing with this and seeing a progression? How do they deal with it?
1: It's very hard. And truthfully, you know, you have a dyad here. The person with dementia obviously has the illness, but the the care partners are are the ones affected as well. And if the care partner is not supported, they cannot support the person with dementia. So they must be dealt with as a unit. And again, if you have a good primary care setup that can provide that counseling, that's a good way to do this. Um, Joining the Alzheimer's Society or other community support services to actually understand what's going on. Sometimes the symptoms and the expressions that a person with dementia may have are frightening. And we often don't know how to respond to these, especially if someone thinks one thing when reality is the other, do you argue? Do you try to convince them? Or do you learn strategies to sort of change the topic and, def- and deflect and, and, and uh, um, diffuse a situation? So there's many ways to, to do this. Um, I think one of the challenges is if you don't help people understand what's going on, uh, it drives stress and then stress drives a more emergent uh, reaction to seek help and uh, at the medical side of things. And then you get prescription of medications that uh, are really a band aid. And I think one of the most important things to do and, and medicine is, a, is, is complicit in this is, is to stop treating a person with dementia as someone with a series of deficits. It's very negative because then we forget what they still have in terms of strength, but we also forget who they are. And and if you forget who they are and see someone who's, for example, expressing themselves, they want to leave the nursing home or they want to go out for a walk this morning to to go to the field, for example, there was one fellow like that. He just kept insisting and people wouldn't want to let him out because he might get lost. Well, the, f- the fellow was a farmer and all he wanted to do was go to the end of the road and see the cows in the morning because that's what he did every morning for the most of his working life. Uh-huh. And so they let him do that and he was happy. He watched the cows and the cows were fine and he went back inside and there was no problem. Uh-huh. And so you have to know the person and you have to understand that they have needs and they may have trouble expressing these needs or they might have trouble interpreting things. But they are, and and what how they act is really a product of how they're interpreting their environment externally and internally, which is then filtered through who they are as a person.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so, if we forget the person, they're going to be harmed, yeah. and uh, in many many different ways. So it's one of the most difficult things to learn about dementia, yeah. but it's the most important thing: is a well, well-supported caregiver. Will de- reduce the uh, institutionalization rate substantially. Will delay it by up to a year. Wow.
0: That's significant. And the other thing is, I mean, we've got that patience when it comes to children, um, and you know, we just don't think to extend it maybe to our seniors and our people that are, that are having Alzheimer's symptoms. Um, you know, if a family member is listening to this or somebody's listening to this and they need some resources, where should they go to find some really solid information?
1: The Alzheimer's Society website is excellent. They have a lot of information, but I would urge people to just pick up the phone and and call the Alzheimer's Society and say, look, um, my partner, my father, my parent, my mother has Alzheimer's disease and it's a really hard thing and I need to talk to someone and I wanna learn uh, how to help them. That's especially early on. Further on down the road, it's important to know that there are things called community support services. There are adult day programs. I don't like the term because it sounds like, you know, infantilization in a way, but there are programs out there where people who have dementia can go and be cared for and be active and do things. And the caregiver gets a day off and that's critical. So they can look after themselves and either get chores done or or hopefully get some some rest. Uh, Meeting with the family physician, If the person with dementia has other chronic diseases that are challenging to manage, then work with the docs and nurses on how to learn to take over that care. It can be done, uh, but you're entitled as a care partner to understand how to manage your partner's heart failure if they can't. So those are some of the really important things. And I think the most important thing is even before someone has a diagnosis of dementia is think about advanced care planning. You know, what would you want in terms of care if you were to lose the ability to express your preferences? Uh Because with dementia, that will happen. And the, the strange thing is most physicians are very reluctant to broach that topic early on because it's not that they're, they're, they're being thoughtful in a certain way. They, they've just laid this diagnosis down on you. And it's a difficult and stressful time. And then you want to follow by talking about, well, you're going to die from this potentially. What are we going to do back in the future? So it, it has to be handled carefully, but it has to be handled because if I wait too long and your dementia progresses to the point that you can't tell me what your wishes are, then I have robbed you of that opportunity to express these. So people need to, at some point early on, start discussing this with their caregivers, with their family. Everyone needs to know, because if you have a, a living will or some wishes written down somewhere in a, in a locked uh, security box in the bank and no one knows what they are, oh, we can't help you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's a challenging topic, but it's also extremely important because we know at the end of life, People with dementia in nursing homes are often transferred to hospitals. They're given tests and procedures for diseases that they won't benefit from. Yeah. And in fact, it makes things worse at the end of life. So,
0: right. Well, that's the thing. That's why having somebody like yourself, who's an expert in this, giving the information to such a broad audience, because I know there's people listening that are going to benefit from this. So, Dr. Heckman, thank you so much for taking time in your busy schedule to join us today. I really appreciate you coming on.
1: You're most welcome.
0: Well, that was Dr. George Heckman, who's a geriatrician and professor at the University of Waterloo. When we come back, we'll chat with Michelle Heyer, who's the Director of Seniors Care in the Schlegel Research Center for Advancing Seniors Care at Conestoga College. Michelle will tell us about her research group called the Canadian Remote Access for Dementia Learning Experiences, which is a free online dementia care program for those supporting individuals with dementia. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. I'm here with Michelle Heyer, who's a director of seniors care in the Schlegel Center for Advancing Seniors Care at Conestoga College. Michelle will tell us about her group's project called the Canadian Remote Access for Dementia Learning Experiences, which is a free online dementia care program for those supporting individuals with dementia. Let's check it out. Uh, hi, Michelle. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much for having me today.
0: I'm really glad you could join us because you're an expert when it comes to taking care of some of our most vulnerable population, and that's seniors. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and what you do?
2: Sure. So I started out as an unregulated care provider many years ago in a long-term care home um, known as a nurse's aide. So while I was in high school, I started uh, working in the the nursing home after, after school and on the weekends, and I just loved it. That's kind of where my seniors care, I would say, passion started. From there, I went to college and I got a nursing diploma and again, just really flourished and, and loved what I was doing and worked all over the hospital uh, in Ontario here at Kitchener, where I am. From there, I didn't want to stop learning. So I continued to go back. I went back and I took many different certificates in nursing, foot care, um, the OR certificate, um, and eventually went back and got my degree in nursing or BScN. As I got my BScN, I started getting more interested in research and education. So started to work at Conestoga College and then decided I wanted to go back and do more and went and ended up to do my master's in gerontology at McMaster, um, which has led me kind of to the career path I'm on today.
0: That's, a, that's excellent. This is exactly the type of person we love to have on this show because we're talking about relative issues that are, that are important to everybody listening. And Newfoundland has the oldest population in the country. And I think that people are a little bit more attuned these days to their health risks. How has the pandemic made people more aware about pre-existing health conditions and their challenges, in particular with the population you deal with, which is seniors?
2: Great questions, uh, so with the pandemic, I think we're starting to really highlight that there are a lot of people out there that you know maybe are immunocompromised or are living with complex conditions. And now they're even more vulnerable with COVID-19. Our seniors live with complex health needs and we need to be able to provide better supports than we are. So COVID's really highlighted the opportunity here that our, that our healthcare system needs some support and we need better education out there to help our care providers support our seniors.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, when you hear news and you're like, OK, there's an outburst, uh, outbreak of cases, but it in a senior's home, you always get more concerned because you do know that those populations are the ones that are going to have the worst outcomes when it comes to something like uh, a pandemic or even influenza, for that matter. You know, our population in Canada is getting older. The baby boomer generation is now getting to the age where some of them may need some care. How will the silver tsunami going to make these problems that we're facing even worse?
2: I think you hit the nail on the head. It's just going to be that much worse. We're not prepared. We know we have a shortage of nurses. We have a shortage of PSWs, healthcare, AIDS, um, whatever the the province wants to refer to them as. We refer to them as unregulated care providers, just as a whole. You know, we don't have enough long-term care beds. We're in a bit of a scary situation, to be honest, and I'm not sure um, what will all come out of this. But you know, if anything, I'm hoping that COVID-19, as difficult as it is, has really highlighted the need for change and that, you know, maybe it'll push us in the right direction to help support the seniors in the upcoming years.
0: Mm -hmm. How is care for seniors different than, say, a child? What type of care do they need that's different than younger people?
2: Well, we definitely see um, the need for more complex care in our seniors, right? Often they don't have a care provider at home. Our children, you know, usually live with mom and dad, and our seniors may be living alone. Mm. We know that many of them want to stay at home and live at home longer, but we don't always have the supports to help them live at home longer. You know, PSWs or nurses that can come into the home to support them versus them maybe moving into a nursing home or long term care type of home. Mm.
0: And one of the things we really want to talk about today is dementia, because dementia really, it can take somebody who's physically capable and all of a sudden slowly over time makes life potentially dangerous for themselves if if they forget things or they're having a an episode, my grandmother had dementia, for example, and I know that over time it became more and more challenging for her to take care of herself, but I have other people take care of her as well. Like, What is dementia?
2: Great question, because dementia, I think, is really misunderstood. Dementia isn't actually a disease, rather it's like an umbrella term that we use to describe a loss of memory, thinking, and behavior that affects one's daily living. Then there's several types of dementia, and probably the most common that we hear about is Alzheimer's disease. It's
0: obviously something we've all heard of, but just how common is it? What's the prevalence?
2: So right now we have 500,000 Canadians living with uh, dementia. And by 2030, we expect about 900,000. So that number is growing rapidly uh, again, which is going to lead to some challenges probably in providing care for these seniors, unless if we really have some drastic changes.
0: Is that a function of better healthcare, keeping people alive longer from, you know, surviving things like cancer, for example, and how is the overall population going to change? Are we seeing like a huge population uptick where it's the same ratio of people getting it, or is there going to be a greater proportion of the population?
2: I think, you know, I can't say for certainty exactly yeah. why we're seeing more dementia, but I think exactly that our population is living longer. Right. And we know that our, the portion of seniors is growing rapidly and we just don't have enough care to really support these seniors so i think that's why we're going to see more dementia dementia is typically diagnosed in someone over 65 years of age um only three percent are diagnosed in under 65 so as our population ages we are going to see more cases of dementia
0: Mm -hmm. life expectancy is getting higher for our country in particular so now if i'm a caregiver you know And I am detecting this, like, how do you sort of approach this? What do they need to know to make sure that person's taken care of?
2: So I think probably first is go and consult a physician if you're experiencing those symptoms, um, because there's not really one test to diagnose dementia. So if a physician can take a thorough medical history, physical and medical tests to rule out other problems, and then really make that firm diagnosis. Once you have that diagnosis, that knowledge is power, right? And you can start to put in place, you know, supports that you may need and start to really think about the future, because we know it's progressive to think about, you know, if someone may need care in the future, how are we going to support them? Mm-hmm. We also want to start to think about what is that person living with dementia? What are their wishes? Do they wish to remain at home? What do they hope for their future? Because understanding their um, wishes now can then help us uh, provide care in the future when maybe they aren't able to communicate them.
0: Well, that's a good point. You know, so there's, there's got to be different forms of care depending on the severity of the condition. What's available to people?
2: So we often find, you know, when people are first diagnosed with dementia, they're often living in their home Um, and, you know, they're able to function quite well, maybe with the support of family, friends or a care partner. As the disease progresses, we often see people having to require 24-hour support, maybe in terms of a long-term care home. Uh, When people are living at home, there should be home and community supports available where, you know, a visiting PSW or nurse can come in um, daily or a few times a week to help but eventually it sometimes gets to a point where we do have to make the difficult decisions to, to have that 24 seven support available.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, that awareness around the need to be able to be trained and how to deal with individuals is becoming more public these days because it's becoming a bigger issue. You mentioned a term earlier called unregulated care providers, you know, What's the challenge for individuals that are trying to take care of seniors, but they may be dealing with seniors with dementia? How does that sort of impact it if they don't have the right training?
2: So unregulated care providers is really an umbrella term for people that are PSWs, health aids, continuing care assistants across Canada. What we know is that term kind of varies between province. So I did want to mention that for you know our listeners across. Canada, so they understand the terms that we're referring to. Mm -hmm. We know that people living with dementia and their care providers really require tailored high quality care. Unregulated care providers, that education really varies. Uh, It could be something from a high school, a private career college or a college. Generally, it's maybe eight months in length that they are provided that education. But sometimes they're not offered the education that they require to give that complex care to our aging seniors, especially as we're seeing those needs change as our population is living longer.
0: I'm here with Michelle Heyer, who's the director of seniors care in the Schlegel Center for Advancing Seniors Care at Conestega College. We're learning about a free online dementia care program for those supporting individuals with dementia. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. I'm here with Michelle Heyer, who's the Director of Seniors Care at the Schlegel Center for Advancing Seniors Care at Conestega College. We're learning about a free online dementia care program for those supporting individuals with dementia. Let's get back to the conversation. Well, the best practices must be changing all the time. I know that in medicine, things are always changing in treatments. How important is it to stay current and those types of things? Because that's going to bring us to a a study and a new program that's been released. So just to build the, the case for people listening
2: i think covid-19 if anything has really demonstrated how much our research and best practices change on a day to day basis right at the beginning of the pandemic we weren't wearing masks to so now we're wearing masks everywhere at the beginning of the pandemic we talked about you know washing our hands and now we're looking at airborne precautions. So the same thing goes for all medical um, conditions and, and, you know, providing support to our seniors. We're we're being provided with new research on a daily basis and it's hard to keep up to date on it. I think that really highlights the importance of us as healthcare providers to continue on um, with continued education after we finish our programs so we can stay current and provide that best care.
0: That's right. I'm so fortunate in my job. One of the things I get to do is ask smart people that are subject matter experts questions about relevant issues in health and get to learn from them. So it's the easiest job in the world when it comes to that. Now tell me about the new cradle course as a potential support, because this is really interesting. I dug deep into this before we had our chat and it's quite an extensive program.
2: Sure. So dementia, as we spoke about is a really complex like disease, and care providers just do not always have the knowledge and skills required to support good dementia care. So due to this, the Canadian Institute for Seniors Care at Conestoga College, where I work, uh, applied for the Future Skills Centre grant in 2020, and we were fortunate enough to receive $1.2 million from the government of Canada to develop, implement, and evaluate uh, dementia education. So out of that, the Canadian Remote Access for Dementia Learning Experiences course, or Cradle, was really born. The Cradle course introduces learners to five seniors living with dementia across Canada and teaches them practical approaches to support people living with dementia through real-life scenarios. So we do this by actually immersing students in a real-life situation of a senior and the challenges they may face living with dementia. And then we provide them opportunities to learn and grow through a series of kind of almost like choose your own adventure scenarios Mm -hmm. where they can make guesses and take chances on a online course rather than on a real person in real life. Mm -hmm. That's going to help increase their confidence and increase their skills and knowledge to support people living with dementia.
0: That's right. In our last episode, I talked about experiential learning. It's such a huge thing to go through simulation and the world is in technologies facilitating that for us to make it easier for people to get education they possibly couldn't get if that type of individual wasn't in front of them. Who can avail of this? Is there a cost? Give me some details on that.
2: So the course is two hours online. Take at your own pace. You can log on at 2 a.m. or 2 p.m. depending on your need. It is available to up to 50,000 people across Canada. It was developed really for people, uh, unregulated care providers or care partners supporting people living with dementia. Mm -hmm. It's available in four different languages, English, French, Mandarin, and Tagalog, so that you can learn in your own, one's own language. Um, And it's available till the end of 2022.
0: That's excellent. And, and, you know, what are some of the things they're going to learn specifically that are really important that may be lacking from some of the formal training somebody could go through being a nurse practitioner, or physician, or anybody dealing with individuals that are seniors?
2: So it's going to teach them really that practical approach. What happens if they go in to visit Sally in her home and she doesn't want a bath that day. How do we approach that situation? Uh, How do we approach situations with communication with supporting someone living with dementia, which can be very different from supporting someone with a hearing impairment or someone with heart disease, right? Um, How can we actually look at that cultural piece around supporting someone living with dementia? So one of the scenarios, for example, supports Nogmo, an indigenous elder at end of life at home, which may have a different, which he may have a different preference than say, who's living in long-term care in Kapuskasing, Ontario. Um, so really looking at uh, Canada's diverse population and how we can support them, um, whether they live in Ontario, Newfoundland, or British Columbia.
0: Yeah, that's not surprising that somebody would require a unique experience or unique training to deal with them. I always say that, you know, you got H2O, which is one molecule of water that freezes and makes something that's completely unique. That's only three molecules. You got a human body with trillions of cells, of course, they are going to have a unique, you know, genetics, but also life circumstances. But this course and, and all the people that are taking it are part of something that's bigger. And that's the evaluation of how how this training can be done and how we can deliver better care to seniors. Tell me about that.
2: So, right now, we're, we're in the middle of this two year longitudinal study. We're actually going to look at the impact of cradle on unregulated care providers. What is their knowledge? What is their satisfaction with the education? At present, we're seeing that there's this they have significantly enhanced knowledge and high satisfaction after taking this course. And students take surveys at pre, post, three, and six months. So, we are waiting for further data to come in. Right now, we're also exploring the impact on job-related and employer outcomes. So looking at, again, job satisfaction and job retention of unregulated care providers who are provided the right training to do the job well.
0: Mm, That makes sense. Because if you've got somebody who's trained and already in the system trying to help seniors, and there's going to be an influx of more seniors into the system, you're going to want to retain those people. You want to make sure that they're equipped with the tools they need. What do you hope that you get out of this and some of the feedback that you get from the learners about what they what they gain from it?
2: We hope that of course, you know, learners are really excited with the education and they grained the um, practical knowledge to support seniors better, and we've increased their confidence really to go out and do the job well. We know that, you know, uh, unregulated care providers are going into the home and sometimes they're all by themselves, right? In order to make good choices on the job, they need to be provided with the, the real life practical approaches and education and confidence to do that. Um, so this course I'm hoping really will provide unregulated care providers with that.
0: Awesome. So if somebody wants to learn more about this, I'm listening to this. I'm currently working with seniors. I could benefit from this type of training. How do they access the program?
2: So, learners anyone who's interested can go on to the conestoga college website at conestogac.on.ca slash cradle to learn more um, they can register for free they just have to simply make a user account and they can take that course uh, any time of the day up until december 31st 2022.
0: that's fantastic i mean i love having stories like this in the show that number one help people that need it most but secondly helps improve the body of knowledge so people can become better at it in the future. So one thing that comes to mind with this course is that it's obviously going to be beneficial to the patients and the people that these uh, care providers are working with. But I gotta think that if they're armed with more information, it's gonna make their life better too. So there's an aspect of self care, you know, and taking care of yourself, make sure you're more effective. Is, Is that something you're seeing?
2: Absolutely. So as a result of hearing of the burnout that we are seeing out there in PSWs or even family members supporting people living with dementia, Part of the Cradle course is actually a self-care module where we talk about how can you support yourself to ensure you can provide good support to other people. Mm-hmm. Burnout is on the rise in healthcare providers and we do see it in, in family members as well because they're taking on additional caregiving responsibilities, maybe in addition to their jobs. Um, it is It can lead to you know, a lot of burnout or caregiver burden. So it's really important that we encourage our care partners whether they are healthcare providers or family members to look for help. There's often a lot of resources that you can have in your community, such as support support groups, the Alzheimer's Society, or even um you know, education such as Cradle that can help support that knowledge is power piece to hopefully decrease burnout.
0: Yeah, one of my friends always says you can't pour from an empty cup. So it's hard to take care of other people and just take care of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's so great for you to join me today. It's fantastic to see somebody with such a passion for this and moved so many different elements of their career to a point where you can make a difference with the population of Canada. So thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for the great work you guys are doing.
2: Thank you so much again for having us.
0: Thank you to Dr. Heckman and Michelle for joining me today. If you're a family member providing dementia care for a loved one, you know the challenges it can involve. It was once said, there are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. Well, my family was touched by Alzheimer's like so many others, and having programs like this will help both those with dementia and those providing care. Now, if you're interested in learning more, go to www.conestogac.on.ca. Well, that's our show this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.